Hi, and welcome back for another Toasted Tale with me, Jim. I'm really happy you've decided to join me today around the fireside. If, like me, you enjoy hearing stories, then you've come to the right place. I think there are interesting stories in every subject, just waiting to be found and shared. In this podcast, we're going to take a random subject and use it as a seed to do some research. And in that time, I'll do my best to find a story within that hopefully you and I can find enjoyable. So let's bring in the subject randomizer, give it a spin, and find out what today's topic will be. Okay, so today it's landed on 123 trimethylbenzene. Wow. Now, just for clarity, even though I did chemistry at secondary school, which is a long time ago now, I really don't know much about 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene. You're not listening to a chemist or someone who's an expert in this field. I'm just a guy who likes taking a subject and then using it to find some interesting tales and learning a thing or two along the way. Now, so as not to bore you while I do my research into 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene, I have already completed the research. I've spent all that time trying to find some interesting topics, and I'm pretty excited to share with you what I've found today. So let's get right to it. Now, I think it's always good to know your strengths, and for me... I'm not strongest in the sciences. I enjoy learning about sciencey stuff, but teaching it or talking about it in a podcast isn't my strength. So when we're looking at 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene today, we're not going to be going too deeply into the nitty-gritty chemistry stuff. Rather, I'm going to be looking for where this compound has, has touched real life and impacted in the world. I definitely will find that more interesting to research and also I think it will make for a less dry listening experience to you guys as well. We will be touching a little bit onto the science but mainly my focus will be on the threads that we can pull using 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene as a seed and seeing where it will take us. So getting some of the heavier scientist stuff out of the way first, 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene is an organic compound, which is classified as an aromatic hydrocarbon, which are organic compounds, usually but not always with a distinctive smell. Think next time when you're at the gas pump, when you're putting petrol into your car or diesel, and that smell of petroleum wafting in the air is what I'm talking about. Now these hydrocarbons also can be highly flammable, which is also something you'll be seeing at the petrol station on those warning signs. Now 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene can be naturally found in coal tar and as previously mentioned, petroleum. But it's also produced industrially through the distillation of petroleum and certain methods of methylation. So we have one way of producing it naturally, one way of producing it industrially. So what about something that we put it in? Well, I give you jet fuel. 
Yep, that's right, the stuff that powers the jet engines that fly us all around the world. So, we have coltar, petroleum, and jet fuel. I've heard of all of them before, but I don't know much, and so I have the urge to dive in deeper to these subjects to find out more. Coltar, petroleum, and jet fuel. Let's do this. First, let's start with coltar. It's a thick, dark liquid, created as a byproduct of the production of coal and coal gas. Now, coltar has uses both medically and industrially. Medicinally, it can be applied to the skin to treat psoriasis and dandruff. Industrially, it plays a key role in our transport systems, being used on the railways to preserve the sleepers that hold the tracks in place, and in the paving of our roads that we drive on. The first record of coal tar seems to have been in 1665, when J.J. Becker, a German professor of medicine, brought his process for making tar from coal by dry distillation in closed vessels to England. In 1681, Becker and his business partner H. Searle were given the British patent 214 for making pitch and tar from coal. They tried selling the new process on the fact that the coal tar they produced was superior to wood tar, or Stockholm tar, that was currently in use. This older method had been made probably for thousands of years, by heating wood and making it decompose without exposing it to air, a process very similar to charcoal burning. And it had a really important job at the time. It was the prime material used to preserve the wood of the warships that countries produced, and also allowed to strengthen all the ropes that were also used in the rigging and the sails. In 1779, J. Champion was granted British Patent 1224 for extracting tar from coal in the course of making coke for blast furnaces. In the same year, other manufacturers began popping up in Bristol and Cookfield, and what they were producing was in high demand. The country at the time was producing large amounts of battleships, and in Sunderland, particularly a big shipbuilding city, they needed as much coal tar as possible in all of their shipwrights and factories. This increased demand in coal tar naturally paved the way for enterprising individuals who were wanting to capitalise on this new market. Probably the first serious attempt to manufacture coal tar came from Archibald Cochrane, the ninth Earl of Dundonald. The Earl was a self-taught inventor, who sadly never made the fortune he deserved from the process of manufacturing tar from coal he honed and developed at his estate at Culross Abbey near Edinburgh. Now, just to give you a bit of insight about what was going on at the time, and why coal tar is so important to this story, we have to go back to the 18th century, where throughout this time, the Baltic states had a almost monopoly on the production of wood tar and pitch. 
This meant that any nation who used ships a lot or had a strong naval presence was at a disadvantage when dealing with these nations. The Baltic states who held this very precious resource could exert diplomatic and financial pressures on anyone who came to buy from them. This was clearly an undesirable situation. Additionally, the Napoleonic Wars that were taking place between 1803 and 1815 massively drew up the demand for wood tar in order for the major powers to build bigger and more mighty warships. This high demand meant that many people requiring this resource went unsupplied. Adding one more wrinkle into the whole situation, the American Revolutionary War, which ended in 1783, seriously shook up the production of wood tar from that nation. It was a major provider, and while the country was still recovering from the revolution, its production of wood tar was severely reduced. This of course reduced the worldwide supply and drove the demand even higher. Through a number of global events happening in different parts of the world, wood tar had become a precious resource, which in truth was becoming a point of contention between those nations who had it and those who did not. Those that needed the tar were faced with either paying high costs to purchase it, either diplomatically or just monetary-wise, go without the tar to the detriment of your nation's naval capacity, or develop an alternative that can be used instead. The need for a substitute was the principal reason for Dundonald's research. He used all his financial strength to construct a plant for decomposing coal by heating it in the absence of air in a closed vessel known as a retort. Following this process, a valuable fuel, coke, was left in the bottom of the retort and could be used for other processes as well. In 1781, British patent 1291 was granted to Dundonald for, quote, a method of extracting or making tar, pitch, and essential oils from pit coal, end quote. It seemed a breakthrough had been reached that allowed Britain to maintain its naval authority while not having to rely on the political machinations of other countries or by the events that were taking place throughout the world. Leading on from the natural source of 1,2,3-trimethylbenzene to one that's produced industrially, let's take a look at petroleum. Now, we know that oil and gas have been used in some capacity for thousands of years in lamps and materials for construction. This is because the earliest known oil wells that we are aware of were being drilled in China in 347 AD. Petroleum, as we have come to know it, came a little later, with the modern history of the oil and gas industry starting in around 1847. This was with the discovery made by Scottish chemist James Young. He observed natural petroleum seeping into the Riddings coal mine in Derbyshire. From this seepage, 
he was able to distill both a light thin oil suitable for lamps and a thicker oil suitable for lubrication. Following these successful distillations, Young experimented further with coal and was able to distill a number of liquids including an early form of petroleum. He patented these oils and paraffin wax, which was also distilled from coal in 1850, and later that year formed a partnership with geologist and friend Edward William Binney to work on these new discoveries further. The partners formed the first truly commercial oil refinery and oil works in the world, manufacturing oil and paraffin wax from locally mined coal. As with many advancements, Young wasn't the only scientist making discoveries about coal in the 19th century. In 1846, Canadian geologist Abraham Pineau Gessner refined a liquid from oil, oil shale, and bitumen that was cheaper and burned more cleanly than other oils. He dubbed this liquid kerosene and founded the Kerosene Gaslight Company in 1850 using the oil to light the streets of Halifax in Canada, and later the US. From these initial discoveries, new businesses were created, with the coal industry now seeking to create the oils developed by Young and Gessner. Around the similar time, and across the Atlantic Ocean in Central Europe, Polish engineer Ignacy Lukasiewicz was also working in this area, improving Gessner's method further, to more easily distill kerosene and petroleum in 1852, opening the first rock oil mine in Bobrka, Poland, in 1854. Little would these men know how their creations, petroleum, would end up being a major chess piece in world politics becoming a major resource for the countries in the world to use and fight over. One of the things that really came into its own in the 20th century and was made possible by petroleum was jet propulsion and its use. This is defined simply as any forward movement caused by the backward ejection of a high-speed jet of gas or liquid. In the case of air travel and engines, Jet propulsion means that the machine itself is powered by jet fuel. The inventor of the jet engine was Sir Frank Whittle, an English aviation engineer and pilot who joined the Royal Air Force as an apprentice, later becoming a test pilot in 1931. Whittle was only 22 when he first fought to use a gas turbine engine to power an airplane. The young officer tried to gather support for these ideas for financial and development reasons from his superiors in the RAF, but was ultimately unsuccessful in getting anyone to sign off the funding for research and development. He was forced to pursue this research on his own initiative. Rejection can be hard to take sometimes, but if you are sure of yourself as Whittle was, and keep working on your ideas, then things may come through. For him, he received his first patent on the turbojet propulsion designs in January 1930. Armed with this patent, Whittle again sought funding to develop a prototype, this time successfully. 
He began construction of his first engine in 1935. A single stage, centrifugal compressor coupled to a single stage turbine. What was meant to be only a laboratory test rig was successfully bench tested in April 1937, effectively demonstrating the feasibility of the turbojet concept. Power Jets Limited, the firm with which Whittle was associated, received a contract for a Whittle engine known as the W1 on July 7th, 1939. In February of 1940, the Gloucester Air Company was selected to develop the Pioneer. The small engine aircraft, the W1 engine, was earmarked to power. The historic first flight of the Pioneer took place on May 15th, 1941. And it obviously made enough people sit up and take notice. This is clear because future iterations of the jet engine started following this flight. In fact, the modern turbojet engines used today in many British and American aircraft are based on the prototype invented by Whittle. Of course, the fuel that would have developed alongside these engines have gone through as many evolutions as the engine itself, to make them the most effective and usable for their intended task. And it is within this jet fuel that we find our 123 trimethylbenzene that sparked our interest in this subject in the first place. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today around the fireside. I really enjoyed learning a bit more on this Toasted Tail podcast about 123 trimethylbenzene. Trying to find a story about an aromatic hydrocarbon is quite intimidating, but I think we were able to find a few interesting threads to follow and look at some of the history of some of the things connected to this compound. I also do feel like learning the stories about how coal tar, petroleum and jet fuel were developed are really interesting because those things do still affect our lives today. If you did enjoy listening to this podcast and want to know when new episodes are released, then there's a really easy way for you to stay up to date. This is by following me on Twitter or Facebook. The way to do this is following me at Podcast Tale, that's all one word, and it's there where new episodes are released and anything I find interesting while doing the research is posted there as well. Follow me at Podcast Tale for more. We release new episodes of the Toasted Tale podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. Make sure you follow us wherever you prefer to get your podcasts to get updated when new episodes get released. I want to thank you all again for tuning in. I really enjoy learning new things about subjects that I may have not have considered learning about before. And doing that and learning about these things alongside you really makes the experience a whole lot better. I look forward to hanging out with you all again soon. I hope you all have a lovely rest of day and I will speak to you again for another toasted tale around the fireside.